Oh God, today I pray that we would see Jesus as being fairer than anything else, anyone else. That we would see Jesus as altogether beautiful. I pray today, Father, that from youngest to oldest in this room today, those tuning in on the radio, those logging in online, for anyone of us who will be studying this passage this morning, oh God, I pray that Jesus would be high and lifted up. Jesus would increase, we would decrease. That we would behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We are not here, Father, to play games. We are not here to simply ease our troubling hearts to check off that church was done on Sunday. We are here to meet with you, Father. We are here to open your holy word. To take the holy text of scriptures to study it. As your Holy Spirit infuses it into our lives. That we see your word clearly. That is the prayer today. And then that we obey it faithfully. Now, we're not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. God, that is the prayer of our hearts today. I want to thank you for every single person here today. What a miracle of your grace and your provision to bring us all here today to get us through another crazy week. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy and your kindness allowing us to study today. And I pray today, Father, that you would bless this study in every possible way. Give me grace as I attempt to explain one of the most powerful texts in Christology that we will ever interact with in this short amount of time. Help us to understand it and to apply it. We pray, I do lastly pray for those in turmoil now who could not be here today. Bless them. God, I pray that you would bless the children here today. Let them see a congregation of Jesus followers who love Jesus with all their hearts. For those visiting with us today, thank you for bringing them here. Let them be blessed by your word today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, please take your Bibles, your devices, your handouts if you'd like. You can turn your handouts over. And go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 this morning. As you're turning in your Bibles, I just want to say again that we are thrilled you're with us today. To take the time out of your busy weeks, to take Sunday... I mean, an overview of Sunday is we are celebrating Resurrection Day. This happens every Sunday, the first day of the week. We celebrate our Savior's resurrection. And one of the ways we celebrate it is congregating a group of Jesus followers to study God's Word, to worship Him, the beauty of His holiness. So I pray that your heart is blessed today because you have taken of your time to obey God and to come and worship this morning. So thank you for being here. If you are new with us this morning... 
thank you for joining us. Please know we love you and are thrilled that God brought you to worship with us this morning. Uh, so today, especially those who are new with us, we're going to, just to kind of introduce what's happening, we're, we're on a series, in a series we're on a journey, we're studying this, looking to Jesus. We want to take scripture serious, and in scripture, the author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, tells us to do something amidst all of these things that stretch our faith. And undeniably, there are things that are stretching our faith right now. Physical things, uh, mental, psychological things, social, cultural things. I mean, anyone that doubts that is, is kind of maybe not in reality right now. There is a lot going on in our culture right now, and a lot of internal turmoil and as we go to Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, In these times of unrest, disgust, what are we to do? Fix our eyes on Jesus. Don't take our eyes off of Jesus. That's exactly what we're doing. We're about two and a half months into this study on Looking to Jesus. All we're doing is taking different snapshots of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you the passage we're in today, and actually it'll overflow into next week, because as I was studying this, this could be a passage that actually we study all year long. It would not in any way do justice for me to just stand up here and for 30 minutes try to just speak on this. I'm going to extend it at least to two weeks long hoping that you will engage, we will engage in this passage and that it will drive us to love our Savior uh, more faithfully. What idea, and really make it appropriate to the study today, as our faith is tested, you'll see this on your handout, as our faith is tested, we must fix our eyes on the preeminent one. Okay, the preeminent one. What is that all about? Well, would you go with me quickly to one verse before we read the whole text? Look with me at Colossians 1, verse 18, and this gives us a taste of what this text is all about. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 says this, referring to Jesus. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn born from the dead. And here's the phrase that kind of uh, summarizes this entire hymn, this entire text right here. That in everything he might be preeminent. All right. So let's think about this concept of preeminent. We had a short discussion last night before the kids went to bed. I said, okay, what does preeminent mean? There was honesty. I don't know. <laughs> Dad, really? And then there was some real creativity when we started getting into it. A couple of the kids really had some great ideas of what this meant. Really tapping into what this meant. Okay, this is, to be quite honest with you, this is not one of those words we use all the time in modern day English. Preeminent. All right? Um, uh, you take a winning team. You don't say, boy, that's the preeminent team. You might be thinking it, but that's not the word you're going to use. Unless you're really trying to impress someone with your awesome vocabulary, you're not going to say, that's the preeminent team. 
However, we still get the idea through other similar concepts. So if you were today to describe to the people around you, if I were to put you on the spot and say, okay, we're going to do group studies today, you to the people in your row, would you tell them what you think preeminent means? What would you say? What are some of the synonyms you would use? All right, I saw a couple of you already say, first. Absolutely. That's part of this. When we think of preeminent, we're thinking of this concept of first place. All right, what might come to your mind? It might be something like this. We are a culture that is absolutely driven by any sort of competition. It, it works into every, the, the fabric of everything we do is turning something into competition. I mean, you doubt that when you walk to your car today and you have kids, well, maybe younger kids, what is the game? I bet I can get to the car first. I, get, I bet I can get my seatbelt on first. Everything's turned into a competition. So in our competition culture, we often think of this. Maybe this comes to mind. Anybody know who this is? Don't, don't say his name. Anybody have a clue on this? All right. This is arguably, maybe I should say unarguably, this is the best NCAA wrestler in history. Okay, some would say like Dan Gable. He wrestled for the same school, Iowa State. This guy, Kale Sanderson, went 159-0 and zero in college history. Four NCAA titles. This has not been matched. In 2002, his hands were raised as being one of the greatest college wrestlers of all time, going on to win a, a, an Olympic gold medal. Maybe in your mind you're thinking first place as the hands are being lifted. Maybe it's this, if you're into track and field, crossing that ribbon. Maybe, uh, if you want to cheer for the best team in the entire continent, and, I mean, sorry, the universe, we're talking about Liverpool Football Club. Some of you are like, soccer, come on. Pastor, you just lost me there. I have been a fan of this team since 2004, and just last year they won the UEFA Champions League. That's all of Europe. And then this year they won the English Premier League. So I am stoked to show you this picture today. Maybe this comes to your mind, or maybe for those who are still bitter about last February's Super Bowl, this dude comes to mind. And you can almost not watch this without... Maybe like a little curse word coming out of your mouth or something like that. You're looking at this and you're thinking, no, come on, Patrick. Actually, I saw a San Francisco 49ers shirt today in the congregation. Maybe you're still a little bit bitter about this, but when you think of first place, you're thinking about holding up the Lombardi trophy. Any one of these things, but first place probably comes to our mind when you think of the word preeminent. First place. I'm going to tell you, though, the definition or description of preeminent isn't just first place. It, we need to move a little bit beyond that. In our corporate world, we're constantly talking, in the society we live in, the culture we, culture we live in, we're constantly talking about climbing the ladder. Social ladder, cultural ladder, financial ladder, administrative ladder. You're constantly trying to better yourself till you get to the pinnacle of your profession. The highest place. And when you think of the highest place, here's another word that might have come to your mind in describing or defining preeminent. It is the word rank. It is first in 
rank. Maybe this comes to your mind. All of the ranks in the military. I was thinking about all of this. The four-star general. All of the rank that happens with the military. There's a number of military people here who we are absolutely grateful to God for your service. Thank you. But when you think of rank, you're thinking of climbing the ladder in your military profession. All right? Even to what's happening politically right now. Our country is built on a checks and balances system. We have the different branches, executive, judicial, legislative, keeping each other in check. But right now you see this crazy vying for position in rank. With the elections coming up, to be quite honest, I mentioned the word disgusted a couple minutes ago. Absolutely disgusted with what is happening to try to unsettle rank. To try to push someone else in rank. To try to be creative and deceitful in all of how this happens. We are living in a culture right now where from the top down, if you want to put it that way, in our politics, you see a vying for rank. Okay, we're in the 21st century. I want us to think back to the 1st century. Okay, that's where Colossians is in your Bible. This is not anything new to us. In the Greco-Roman world, you had a transition, a massive transition in the Roman uh, Republic. It went from a Roman Republic. Do you remember this? I'm going to go back to history and reteach all this as we looked at in Philippi when we were studying Philippians. There was a massive massive transition from the Roman Republic to the Roman Empire. Do you remember this? And what was the big deal? The Roman emperor taking rank. So why, why did I just go through all that ridiculousness? <laughs> talking about rank. Talking about first place. Because all of that is included in this concept in the Bible of preeminent. Again, this is not a word we use all the time in our, in our modern English ang- language. However, this is one of the most powerful power words that you'll find in all of Scripture. And it is in this text that we're studying today. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. That in everything... Jesus Christ, the one who we are fixing our eyes on, that in everything, Jesus Christ might be preeminent. So more of a technical definition of this would be something like this. To be preeminent means to be unquestionably supreme in position and power. Your rank is not questioned. Maybe it's this, to hold the absolute right of honor. So when we look at this word preeminent in the scriptures, this is not a word that the Apostle Paul is kind of tippy-toeing around. This is a massive power word that the Apostle Paul is using, and he is using it to describe your Savior, my Savior, Jesus Christ. I want us to actually read um, verses 15 to 23, a longer section here today. But would you follow along as I read this? Because as we go through this section, you just see layers and layers of explanation and argument from the Apostle Paul. 
And right in the middle of all of this, you find that statement that in all things he might be preeminent, first place, highest in rank, unquestionably the highest one ever. Well, can we look at the text and just look with me at verse 15? You can follow along and I'll try to guide us as we go through this. But here's how Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here's how he describes Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Verse 16. For by him all things were created. Okay, quick time out. You can see very quickly, and you can circle it or highlight it if you want. I think I've already done that in the back of your handout. How many times the concept of creation or created is used? This hymn about the deity of Jesus Christ, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, tags Jesus to creation and new creation. That's where we're headed with this study. All right, time in, verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be. What's the word? Preeminent. Verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in this faith of faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Whoa! You read something like that, and you're like, man, I just took like a 30-second drink out of a fire hose. <laughs> Your skin is numb because you just tried to take a drink. This is powerful stuff. Well, what I want us to do the next two weeks is just kind of unpack this a little bit. But before we even do that, there's a lot of prep work that needs to happen before you even enter into a hymn like this in Colossians. There's some considerations that we need to think about. I mean, a lot of times we just want to jump into scriptures and be like, yeah, pull that out. Apply it to my day. Good. There's something we need to consider, and that is what's called context. We need to figure out the story that's happening around this text. So here's a couple things to consider. We need to consider very clearly the place, okay? So what is the title at the top of this epistle? Colossians, all right? This is a, an epistle, a letter written by Paul to the church in Colossae. So we might want to think a little bit about what's happened in Colossae. 
not going to spend a lot of time on this, but this is really cool. It's cool to think how all this sets up. But Colossae is one of those mountain towns in Asia Minor, uh, today modern-day southwest Turkey, one of those mountain towns that was on a direct trade route. When you have one of those obscure kind of mountain towns that kind of had its niche in the mountains, I mean, we lived in the mountains on one of these type uh, trade, I mean, routes, I would guess you could say, in, in Colorado, the top of the mountains, and everybody had to go through the town we lived in. I'm going to tell you what happened when people would stop to eat. They start talking. We lived in one of the most diverse and eclectic communities in all of the state of Colorado. Why? Because they're on a trade route. When people come, they hear things. They talk of things. That's no different here than this Colossae. They would become enamored with the next best philosophy. Ooh, did you hear that guy? Go have coffee with him. Eh, Probably not coffee, something else. Go talk to this dude. He's got this crazy, awesome idea about this mystic thought. Okay, that guy knows his stuff when it comes to knowing how to live. Okay, everything that I just mentioned is directly in the book of Colossians. This Colossae attracted all of these different ideas and philosophies, theological ideals. One example of this is what we've known as Gnosticism. Has anybody heard of that term Gnosticism? Some here have. I'm not going to go deeply into it. And actually what's happening in Colossians is what would probably be better known as pre-Gnostic thought. It's not in-depth Gnosticism. It's kind of a, the precursor to Gnosticism. What is Gnosticism? It's kind of a a mix of these dualistic ideas. When we think about Gnosticism that came to Colossians, here's some of the tenets of this. Advancement in knowledge was supreme over any type of faith. Your knowledge trumped anything that had to do with faith. So climb different levels of knowledge and you will attain closeness to God. All right, here's another thing that, that Gnosticism would teach and that, the, that Colossae kind of started to embrace. All matter, doesn't matter what it is, all matter on this earth is evil and was created actually by a lesser, imperfect divinity, a demiurge. Everything, all matter is evil. Okay, this led to some really skewed views of Jesus Christ, did it not? Think about this very practically. Jesus Christ in, in, in pre-Gnostic thought was not fully God. He could not be fully God in their way of processing theology. But he could also not be fully man of matter, of flesh, because all flesh is evil. Okay, think about this right now. We've talked often about the fact that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man in order that he might fully redeem. Okay, I'm not going to go back and talk all of that. But Gnosticism clearly attacked this thought. This is what was happening in Colossians. There was a supreme God, but this supreme God, he was like hidden. He was out there somewhere somewhere. But the only way to get close to this God 
was to pile information into your brain and to experience different things in your life. The more knowledge you received, the closer you would become to God. All right, that's what's happening in Colossae. That is what's happening in this town right here where this church was. Okay, so we consider the town. What about this church? Well, this is a church that had thinkers in it. They wanted to interact with culture. They wanted to be relevant in culture. So what did this church do? I'm going to tell you, this was a church that had been tempted big time. Big time. With this concept of theological syncretism. You ever heard that? Taking a little bit of this, and a little bit of that, and a little bit of this, and a little bit of that. And let's blend all of this. Let's blend all of this stuff into one culturally ideal and theological heresy is what it was. When you think about this, it was a melting pot of all of this heretical confusion. And it made its way into the church of God. It blended philosophical trends and mystical fascinations like, woo, look at that. It blended uh, theological creativity. Hey, we could be creative and kind of tamper with this concept of Christology, Jesus Christ, a little bit. Not only did it do that, but it became enamored, really, with legalistic practices. I mean, you think about the church of Colossae, and they were like a theological mess. They included everything. Uh, I, I thought of this. <laughs> I love this. A jungle recipe fit for a king. Okay, I used to look forward to the day we would have this thing called hobo soup. Any, any of you talk about this? Oh, you don't need it officially in a can. Uh, we would have youth activities, and what was that all about? What was this hobo soup all about? You just took everything off the, off the shelf and put it right in the mix of the pot, and you just stirred it all up, and you served it, and you loved it. Okay, in a very practical sense, that is the Church of Colossae. We're going to take a little bit of this philosophy, dump it right in there. And a little bit of this philosophy, try that right there. This stuff, man, it's got some crazy stuff in it, but let's just give it a shot. And before you know it, you're stirring up all of this stuff, and they're presenting it on their gatherings as being legitimate theology. I want to tell you exactly what Paul says to the church at Colossae. If you look in chapter 2, verse 8, here's what he says. Beware. <laughs> he says, beware. Beware lest anyone cheat you. Beware lest they steal something from you. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Okay, that's a key concept. Bodily. Remember, all matter is, is, is evil to this Gnostic thought. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. There is some matter that's not evil. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the eternal God-man. In him, in Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. And here's verse 10. This is a verse I quote to myself often. 
when tempted to embrace all kinds of different thoughts, when, to, to kind of swerve away from the word of God and think about other philosophies and theological persuasions. Here it is right here. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principle and power, principalities and power. What's the point? Hey, stop adding stuff to your soup. Stop looking elsewhere. You are complete in Jesus Christ. Why? We go back to the text at hand. Here's why. Because he is preeminent. He's first place. He's highest in rank. All right, so we think a little bit about the town of Colossae, the church in Colossae. What about this book? This is a beautiful book, Colossians. Paul is not mixing it in any way. His point is very clear. You are complete in Jesus Christ. Well, what about this passage? Right? I started reading a minute ago in verse 15. Actually, verses 15 through 20 is a beautiful hymn. It's known as a praise song. And Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing down this praise song. A lot of commentaries try to go back and find the origin of this. We know through the Spirit, Paul wrote this. But it's also cool because I personally think with several commentaries that this is a mix of a hymn that was written in the past and Paul adding some of his own terminology. Okay, in a very practical way, this is what happens when I'm on my way to the church and I can't remember the lyrics to a song. What happens? I'm singing away this song and I get to the chorus and I love it. Now I come to the next verse and I'm making up all kinds of words because these are on my heart. Every once in a while I'll be like, yeah, that's good. Put that down to paper. Okay, that completely rips out the working of the Holy Spirit in this text because the Holy Spirit of God is actually moving on Paul to write these things. Nonetheless, what we see is a written hymn, and I believe Paul is supplementing this hymn with some dynamic truths about Jesus Christ. This hymn has a clear focus. Remember how I said just a minute ago, circle the words creation? Okay, here's the focus on this. First of all, he looks at the broad creation of the entire world. And then from the broad creation of the entire world, he dials it in. And this is what we're going to look at next week. God is preeminent over the whole world. But if you dial it in, and you look specifically how his preeminence is seen, he is preeminent over his new creations. He's preeminent through how he redeems the human soul. This passage, Colossians 1, 15, 23, has a clear and dynamic purpose statement. It's the one we started off the sermon with. That in everything he might be preeminent. Okay, that was quite a bit of setup, but it's setting up for two weeks, so I hope you understand that. What I want us to do now, though, is to take the first uh, theme that Apostle Paul brings out here. Jesus Christ is first. He's preeminent over creation. Remember how this pre-Gnostic thought would dial in and think about creation as being all evil. No good happening here. Well, Paul shares a little bit about the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done in the creation. And I want to just tap into this real quick. The supremacy and preeminence of Jesus Christ and the creation of God go hand in hand. Why, Why do you think... I mean, have you stopped to think about this? I'm sure you have. 
Why is the creation of the world by the direct hand of an almighty God, why is that under such ardent attack? I think you and I both know the answer. Because as soon as you acknowledge that God Almighty through Jesus Christ created all things, guess what that demands from you and from me? It demands accountability. It demands responsibility to this God. One of the main reasons why people will deny that God created the world is because they know from the bottom of their hearts that if they do acknowledge that God created all things, then they have to place themselves under His ownership. They have to place themselves in accountability to this dynamic God. Well, Paul keys off on this. Paul keys off on the fact that Jesus Christ is first placed because of his role in creation. These are going to go pretty quick. This will give you some food for thought for this week. But I want us to look at the way that Paul argues this and develops this. He starts off with this. Jesus deserves first place because of his role in creation. Jesus is the image of the master creator. I want us to think about that. The theme through this text is about God creating, Jesus creating. And what's the first dynamic statement we have from Paul in this hymn? Would you look with me at the beginning of verse 15? He is the image of the invisible God. Okay, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. And what about this Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God. All right, what's that all about? Okay, so this Greek word, icon, what does that sound like? Where our modern word icon comes from. Jesus Christ, and I don't want to speak too much on that, but Jesus Christ is what's known as a direct representation of an almighty, invisible God. I mean, here's, here's his exact likeness, his visible expression, a visible representation. It is like a perfectly clear photo, if you want to put it that way. I mean, some of, some of us get into... Tr- trying our hands at drawing things, and you draw something, you know, and you look at it, and you look at the, 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 the real person, and you're like, yeah, not so close. <laughs> we're going to try that again. There's others that instead of drawing this, they're going to take a direct representation picture. And you look at this picture, and say, yep, that's an exact likeness over here. Paul is saying, This Jesus is the exact likeness of an invisible God. If you want to know God, look at Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus says to Philip in John chapter 14. If you want to know the Father, get to know me. Jesus isn't just a close representation of God. Isn't just a good man that did good things. No, he is the exact doesn't take you very long as you walk through the scriptures to see that God is described as being a spirit, invisible. If you want to see God in action, look at Jesus Christ. Why is Jesus the exact likeness of an invisible God? Because he is fully God, and that is the point of Paul in this text. Jesus is God. There are some students here today. Young ones alike. I'll tell you one of the first things that my dad taught me along with these verses. My dad was a preacher and he constantly said over and over again. He he would start the phrase. I mean, I was young, like two years old. Andrew, 
Say this after me. The Bible is the Word of God. Andrew, Jesus is God. I mean, you have these series of creeds type things that I would repeat. One of them is this. From the Scriptures, we clearly find that Jesus is fully God. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage. What's the Paul's point? Jesus deserves first in rank. Why? Because he is the exact visible God. Top that. <laughs> All of these pre-Gnostic thoughts that thought they're really cool ideologies and philosophies. Oh yeah? Was any of that come close to the exact likeness of the image of God found in Jesus Christ? Let's move on. What's another thing he says in regard to creation? Not only is Jesus in the image of the master creator, here it is. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Okay, this does not mean we start with this. This does not give an excuse. This does not mean Jesus was a created being. Please understand that from the onset here. This does not mean that there was a time when Jesus did not exist. No, as you go through scripture, you find very clearly that he existed eternally. In fact, so many cults, modern cults, world religions, misguided cults have embraced the fact that Jesus was created, so he's not existent. No, you have to compare Scripture with Scripture. You have to see the whole of what's said in Scripture, and this clearly can't mean that Jesus was created. Okay, then if it doesn't mean Jesus was created, what does the concept of firstborn mean? What does it mean? Well, in Jewish culture, and Greco-Roman culture, just like in our culture, the psychology of the firstborn is a big deal. The right to privilege is a big deal. That's exactly what it's saying here. First in rank. Jesus is first in rank over all things because he holds the right and rank of the firstborn. Okay, if any of you doubt this, that little run to the car, guess what happens when the kids get to the car today? Guess who gets first div on the car seat? I'm going to tell you, 10 times out of 10, it's your eldest and your family. Amen, Kara? <laughs> Get lost. All right. All right. If you doubt that, go home and put on a movie tonight. And what's going to happen to that place on the couch? That's mine, says the eldest, to anyone else in the family. That's mine. Get lost. All right, this is how it works. This is how our culture works. And Paul is very clearly keen in on this cultural dynamic. That firstborn means he is first in rank. Jesus is first in rank over all creation. A lot more could be said about this. But his clear point is this. Jesus deserves first place because he holds the firstborn rank. He is the clear right to inheritance over all creation. You can't top that. Here's another one. Jesus is the source of all creation. I mean, I love how Paul says this. It just gets me excited. We're talking about creation and God Almighty's role in creation, but Jesus Christ himself being so dynamically involved in this creation. How is this said? Well, verse 16 says it perfectly. Well, it would because the Holy Spirit wrote it. <laughs> For by him all were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. 
Catch that. All rulers or authority are under his rank. And all things were created through him. I I, I highlighted them there. By him and through him. Very clearly, Jesus Christ is the source of creation. Okay, in our minds, we can't, wrap our, we can't wrap our minds around exactly how that looks. We can't put all the puzzle pieces together to know exactly how God created through uh, Jesus. However, we know it did happen because the Scripture says it did. I love reading about uh, the different commentaries. A guy named Bruce says, this, Jesus is the sphere within which the work of creation takes place. Another guy named O'Brien says, Jesus is the mediator of all creation. R.C. Sproul says, Jesus is the agent by which God created all things. We don't know exactly how it happens, but we know Jesus was involved in creation. In the creation of all things, God Almighty went through the source, and the source was Jesus Christ. Jesus was not a created being, and this is to the point. Jesus not, was not a created being just like any of us, vying for position and rank. No. Jesus is the source of all creation. All creation was clearly dependent on Jesus Christ. Jesus deserves first place because none of this would even be here if it wasn't for Jesus. You think about that. Okay, let's keep moving. Let me wrap this up here. His role in creation. Jesus is preeminent. He's first place because his role in creation. Let's continue on. Jesus is the purpose of all creation. Where do we get that? At the end of verse 16, we find this beautiful two words for him. There's a, quite a bit of discussion on this, but all things were created through him and for him. And to kind of summarize this, I would say all this was created for his infinite benefit. It is for his eternal purposes. It is for his unmatched glory. Jesus is not simply a casual part of this creation, kind of watching all of this stuff happen. No, he is the purpose and goal of the entire creation. And if we can bring that down to the ground level here, a realization that I have to talk myself into all the time that God is God and I am not, here's the fact. This was not created to make me feel good about myself. This was created for the eternal purpose of Jesus Christ's glory. We need to continue on. Jesus existed Uh, Jesus is the purpose of all creation. Jesus existed before all creation. This is huge. Young ones, take this into account. Jesus couldn't be created himself because he was before all creation in time. But this doesn't just mean time. It also means position. I don't think it, it has to be either, really. Because think about this. The eternally existent one is also the supremely honored one. All right? So it can mean time and place. He is before all things, both eternally and in rank. Jesus Christ is before all creation. And then I want to key on to this last one, which I absolutely love. 
Jesus' first place over all of the created world. Why? Because he holds it all together. Would you look with me at the end of verse 17? In him all things hold together. Jesus, the one who holds everything in the universe together. Some of your translations, the one I memorized when I was a little critter, was in him all things consist. All comes together in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the sustainer of the universe and the unifying principle of its life. A couple commentaries say that exactly. What Christ has created, he maintains in permanent order, stability, and productivity. He is the source of the unity and cohesiveness or solidarity of the entire, the whole universe. Okay, those are some theological thoughts. What about very practically speaking that Jesus holds everything together? Well, Jesus maintains and harnesses the power and balance of everything we see in this world. Think about that for a second. Which one of us synchronized the orbit patterns of each planet? Not a single one of us did that. Jesus did that. Jesus holds the earth. Think about this. Jesus holds the earth at just the right exact distance from the sun to keep us from freezing or burning. Jesus causes the moon to keep its precise position, allowing predictable tides to rise and fall all around the globe. Who does that? Jesus does. Jesus provides seasons and weather to keep this world going. Wind to shake up the seeds. Rain to water the seeds. Sun to nourish the seeds. Who does all of that? Well, I know you didn't and I didn't. Jesus does. Jesus supplies fires to clear land and provide fertile soil for the new growth. Catch that when we walk outside and smell the smoke. <laughs> Jesus stabilizes, and I love to think about this. Any of you been to the Grand Canyon? Okay. Jesus stabilizes all of these rocks in the Grand Canyon. These mammoth rocks. Every part of these rocks, Jesus stabilizes it. And any time he wants a little of it to shred off into the Colorado River, phew, There it goes. But you know what? Jesus also stabilizes all of those atoms that connect together to make that molecule. That's Jesus. We went a couple weeks ago to uh, the Redwoods and saw those on the coast. I'd never seen them quite like that. I just kept walking through there and my mouth was just hitting my chest. Wow! I feel so tiny. Guess who holds every single piece of bark together on that tree, every piece of wood, every piece of that entire tree together? It is Jesus, because in him all creation holds together. But then think about that little rose that maybe you gave your wife for Valentine's Day, and that cool little pod. Guess who holds that all together, and at just the right time causes it to bloom and then to fall apart? Jesus does. Jesus is the one who holds things together. Okay, let's make this here practical. Guess who's holding that chair together you're sitting in right now? Some of our chairs are working a little harder than others' chairs. But they're holding together. Guess who's doing that right now? Jesus. Jesus deserves 
And by the way, guess who's holding these wood beams together? Yeah, glue can hold them together, but glue doesn't do the work that Jesus does to hold these together. Jesus holds everything together. And this is Paul's point. Okay, Jesus deserves first place in our lives. Why? Because Jesus is preeminent. He's first place. He's highest in rank in all of the creation. You cannot top this. Actually, his grace and mercy, his kindness is seen in the fact that even through the effects and daily expressions of rebellion against him, he still holds creation together as he sees fit. Nothing happens that surprises Jesus. He is working his beautiful plan precisely. Brothers and sisters in Christ today, as our faith is tested, what are we to do? Fix our eyes on the preeminent one. Fix our eyes at the top of the podium. Okay, I mentioned just a minute ago this church in Colossae. This hobo soup mentality of theology. Here's what they did. They admired Jesus. Please get this. They truly did admire Jesus. But what they did is they took a little bit of Jesus and put him on the shelf with all of these other things that they admired. They took Jesus and put him on a list with all of these other things that they admired. I'm going to tell you, that is what Paul is addressing in this, in this book. The whole book of Colossians. Jesus is not to be somewhere on the list. Jesus is to be at the top of the list. Jesus is not to be on, you know, the main shelf. Jesus is to be solo on the shelf. That is the purpose of this. He is preeminent. I remember in college, I had the project, I need to wrap this up, but I I had a project of writing a paper on Colossians. And I interviewed a fellow that was a, a missionary kid from Zambia, Africa. And we were talking about syncretism and adding all of these religions together. And here's what he told me. He's a very uh, neat guy. He'd observed a lot in his life. We sat down and I was talking about what things he'd seen in Zambia. And he said, Andrew, I'm going to tell you something. I can almost get anyone, anyone in the whole uh, village and whole area, the whole region where we minister, I can get anyone to pray a prayer and ask Jesus to save them. Wow! And I'm going to tell you what he said. Here's the point. You know what they're doing? They're adding Jesus to an entire list of things in their lives. Brothers and sisters, that is not the intention of the New Testament Jesus. The intention, the clear intention of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the clear intentions of the New Testament in your Bible, the whole Bible for that sake, is that in all things, Jesus Christ might be first place, preeminent, highest in rank. That is the intention of the Scripture. So, the so what today, and we'll wrap this up. Are your eyes fixed on the one who has been, is, and will be preeminent over all creation? That little phrase, it's awesome that in all things he might be preeminent, has some really cool syntax to it that involves past, present, and future. All these aspects. An aorist, present. So for those who are interested in this, a subjunctive. We see all of this happening in this phrase. That in all things, he might be preeminent. What's happening here? Jesus Christ has been, is, and will be preeminent. So here's the question for today. Are you watching him? Are you keeping your eyes on this Jesus, this preeminent one? 
Next week, we'll make it a little bit more personal in regard to our walk with God. But in a very broad sense, this should bring overwhelming joy to our hearts today. Think about this. Would you just stop for a minute and think about all of the atrocities that we have seen the last six months? I was on a walk with my wife yesterday evening. And both of us mentioned again, who would have ever thought 2020 would be this way? All the atrocities, the injustices, the riots, the politics, the deceitfulness, the disasters, the pain, the sicknesses, the deaths. And I want to assure you of this. Jesus is working his powerful plan. The story is not over. Why? This passage says it. That in all things he might have the preeminence. God, that is... A beautiful phrase in Scripture. And I pray that we would truly trust this. That we would truly embrace the fact that Jesus is preeminent first in rank. God, we see very clear the facts that He is first in rank over all creation. But I pray, God, that in very practical sense, He would be first place in every decision of our lives. Today, Jesus would be first place every decision of our lives this week, that Jesus would be first place. Yes, that we would acknowledge these things mentally, but that they would be worked out in a practical way. Every decision of our lives. With your heads bowed this morning, your eyes closed, or really however you want to sit there and pray and talk with God. Would you just do something with me? Would you thank God for a preeminent Jesus? Sending his son, Jesus. This eternal God, man. This plan from before the foundations of the world that Jesus would rescue. That this preeminent Jesus would rescue. Thank God for this. We'll talk more personally about this next week when we talk about the recreation. But I I want to close with this today. Would you pray that God would help you trust the preeminent Christ? to trust him with your eternal salvation to call on him to save your soul to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ would you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today not to add him to a list of ideologies and philosophies and theologies but to see him as preeminent Would you come to Jesus today? At the end of the service, I'm going to invite our chaplains to come stand by the stairs, piano and stairs, uh, right, right when we come to the end of our songs. If you have some thoughts on that and you want some more information about how to come to Jesus Christ and saving faith, would you come talk to them today? Don't delay. 
So the misnomer also is that when I come to Jesus Christ, everything's going to be just perfect. I will never again struggle with sin, struggles and pain. That's not the scriptures. Here's the other thing to pray today. If you have come to Jesus by grace through faith, would you pray that you would have the grace this week to trust the preeminent Christ in all aspects of your life? Trust his grace and his mercy and his kindness that the story is not over. Would you pray that you would trust Jesus this week? Father, I want to thank you for bringing us here today to study. Just to scratch the surface of this amazing passage. I pray that it would so intrigue us that all the way through this week, we would want to dig into more depths of this passage. Find out more and more about how beautiful Jesus is. Lord, I pray that you please help us to go our way today. Assured that you are working your plan. That Jesus Christ is, has been, and will be forever preeminent, first in rank, first place. Thank you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.